If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Science, exercise, nutrition, health, energy, passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the OYMB podcast. I'm your host, Chris Laping, and I am joined by my very talented co-host, love of my life and best friend, Christine. Oh, how sweet. Hello. My introduction just gets longer and longer every week. I know. I can't wait until, you know, we're on episode 2000 and to hear more great things about me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of hearing great things, uh, we should share with all the listeners that the two of us have made a commitment for 2021, a pretty big commitment. And that's that we both decided that this year we were going to work on building more of an optimistic mindset. Yes, yes, we are. I actually thought you might be sharing that we're going to try to get better control over our grocery budget. (laughs) Well, that too. Optimism is definitely the goal for the new year. And, you know, it's hard work, important work, but hard work. So I'm glad we're doing it. Well, we should say to everybody, when we say an optimistic mindset, we don't mean just blanket positivity. No. Instead, it's like, Um, Giving yourself credit for the work you're doing to improve your own happiness and fulfillment, to improve your life. And then when you give yourself credit for that, then you start to have a more hopeful and confident outlook that things are going to come together the way you'd like them to. Yeah. And for me personally, the part of the optimistic mindset that I really need to work on is in a moment of challenge or difficulty... Instead of just blowing up and having an all or nothing mindset, just say, you know what, there's a learning in here. I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm going to learn from this. Which speaking of, today's guest, Seth Staggs, is going to provide a lot of additional learning, I think, for Mm. the world. So for you listening, Seth has successfully achieved the one year no beer milestone. He's a legend. Woohoo! And what's really motivating about it is how he navigated the, you know, the very familiar blip that many of our members experience. And, you know, we don't want to give away all the details, but Seth has um, some very brave moments in his storytelling today because he is a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And as we know, um, too many times that there's a lot of adversity associated with that community and um, alcohol does cause a lot of struggle and grief in daily living. So more to come on that, but just a brave soul. And I would say the learning for us today is around something. I just personally believe this so much that our world could use a lot more love and acceptance. And I don't hold myself out differently than anybody else. I have a lot of work to do in this area. But I really encourage all of you listening today to open your hearts and minds to this message. And finally, we're going to talk about something that we all universally deal with, which is the messiness that we experience with complicated family dynamics and what we can do with our families to overcome shame and find forgiveness. Yeah. So tying it back to our goal of an optimistic mindset, what we really hope here again is that people out there hear Seth's story and they may be in a moment 
or a period of time in their life that feels dark and just really overwhelming. But man, you hear this story and it's hard not to be able to see a good, better future and to know that you can get through the storm. That, that's what Seth's story is really about. Well, without further ado, I'd like to offer a warm welcome to the show, Seth Staggs. Hello, my friend, and happy new year. Hi, guys. Happy new year. How's everybody doing? So far, so good. You know, one of the things that we were talking about, Seth, is remember, we got the opportunity to all meet up in person at a one-year no-beer meetup. I think that was like two years ago. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the reason I know this is because the day that we met, it was my first 100-day streak. It was day 100 for me the very first time. So it was May of 2019. So I remember that. Wow. Well, I remember Kathleen Dubois, who lives in Washington, D.C., was coming to Denver for a work conference, and we all decided we would do a Denver meetup. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. we put a message out into the OYMB community Lots of people RSVP'd, and just the four of us showed up in downtown Denver. <laughs> and I'm actually so happy that happened, Seth, because uh, since we didn't have very many people show up, it really allowed us to get to know you better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, guys. And it was, I mean, I think it was one of those moments where, um, I mean, as fate has it, right? Like we all got to talk and share our stories, and with it being such a smaller group we got a little more intimate in the conversation i think it really worked out perfectly yeah me too well seth let's jump right into our chat and here's where i'd love to start um i'd love to start where we normally start these podcasts which is to really talk about here and now so why don't you share with the listeners how many days you've been alcohol free and will you share why you decided to make this choice you know what was going on in your life and why did you feel this life change would help? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, thank you guys for for having me on the show. I've been a listener of the show for a long time, for a couple of years now, and absolutely love it. We've, you guys have had some amazing guests, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. But uh, as of today, I am on day, uh, as far as a, a streak, I'm on day 388. Wow. Hey. Yay! Very excited. Um, it's uh, it's going great. Um, but as far as like why I started started to do this and, and started to join OINB, I mean it was it was a couple years ago. I, I first started in January of 2019, and um, it was right after my uh, my 29th birthday. Um, I had just done the um, what I would have considered a traditional celebration of a birthday. Um, which resulted in maybe a couple of days of uh, drinking a little heavily than one probably should. Um, and uh, just, you know, kind of doing that uh, that birthday celebration thing. And I started to, um, that feeling of, okay, my 20s are ending, my 30s are about to begin, kind of hit me. And I, I just mentally did this look back over my 20s. And I remember... At the start of my 20s, I had these goals, right? Like I wanted to, I wanted to graduate with a uh, graduate degree. I wanted to have enough money to put a down payment on. I, I had these things that I wanted to do in the span of my 20s, and I look back over my 20s, I'm like, well, what the, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like I, I didn't hit my goals. I didn't hit hardly any of them. Um, and so, and retrospect, you know, looking back, I was looking forward to my 30s and was just kind of like, okay, well, what am I going to do to make my 30s better? How, how am I going to be sitting here at 39, looking back over my 30s and having a different conversation with myself saying, you know what, I did do that. Um, so that's kind of where it all spurred from. And like I said, that was my 29th birthday, which is September of 2018. Um, and then the very next month, uh, coincidentally, there was um, something pretty tragic that happened um, in my circle of friends. I had um, a really close friend of mine who uh, we grew up together. We were like brothers growing up. We uh, same small town, um, and we were very, very close. We lived together for a long time. Uh, he got into uh, a car accident, and the car accident uh, he had caused um, – by drinking and driving. Mm. And uh, and this is an old drinking buddy of mine. Um, And 
it was a very tragic accident. There was loss of life. And when that happened, it just kind of put that stamp on it, right? Like, you know what, this is, I, I've got to make change because if this can happen to somebody that I am practically a brother with, then it could happen to me and it can happen to anyone. And mm. I need to straighten up my life a little bit. So that's kind of where it kicked off. Oh my goodness. What a powerful why. I mean, again, I think so many times we we don't think it would happen to us. But when an event like that is so close to home, it definitely is a wake-up call sometimes. So good for you on yeah. actually taking that life experience and doing something with it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely um, it, it's something that nobody wants or wishes would happen. But when that when something tragic like that does happen, the best thing you can do is try to make something out of it. And as far as the impact that on my life, although I was not directly involved in the accident, the impact on my life was just kind of a wake up call. Yeah. Well, now that you're a 365 legend, I mean, having that consecutive streak is just so life changing. Um, We know that it is because the three of us have all been there. But can you share a little bit like what your ups and downs were during that 365 or maybe even beyond? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, um, you know, I think there's this misconception, right? Like whenever you uh, whenever you straighten up and fly right, everything goes perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That is simply not the case. I mean, there are ups and there's benefits. Don't get me wrong, but there's also downsides, right? Life doesn't just stop. Um, but I mean, there, I had the, the same ups that a lot of people share in our group. I had, uh, increased physical activity, lost a little bit of weight, got a little bit healthier. You know, you don't have the hangover. So you feel better. You're more energetic. That vitality of life kind of comes back to you a little bit. Um, I also, you know, decided to start following the vegan diet. So that has been working out for me for also 388 days because I started the same day I started my last streak. Um, So, so, I mean, I've done a lot physically. Um, As far as mentally, I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest up anyway, has been I got my dignity back. I got Mm. my self-respect back. And I think that's, um, that's so much more powerful than anything that uh, physical that you can get back from from this challenge um but you know there's downsides too right like i was um i was in a long-term relationship and this past year we decided to separate um and you know there were some really uh, strong emotions through that experience and and he's a great guy we are still very good friends but we just you know I, the more i learned about myself and who I am through this individual experience, I realized that our relationship um, was not the type of relationship or we were not um, in a relationship that needed to move forward. So we came to that agreement and understanding to split ways. I mean, that's that we were together for three years. So that was a very heavy thing for me to, to go through and to go through that without uh, having alcohol or anything like that to turn to it. It brings a sense of emotional maturity that I think you go through whenever you go alcohol free. Like many people, I used alcohol to numb things out. And Mm -hmm. when you don't have that, I think that's probably the number one quote unquote down, if you would consider it a down, is having to grow up emotionally. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. It's hard. Whenever you're an adult, adult man and you're having to experience these feelings for the first time in a long time, not just with the breakup, but just stress at work and stress in life uh, and managing that. It, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but it is rewarding once you once you get through it. What's so powerful about your sharing, Seth, is it's, it's a reminder that just because we take a break from alcohol doesn't mean that we're putting on a bulletproof vest and that we mm-hmm. aren't going to have heartbreak, that we're not going to have setbacks or failures, that we're not going to have adversity, but just listening to you talk about how you processed it and the emotional and mental clarity you had in that decision, which I'm sure was very hard to end, you know, a long-term relationship. But at the same time, it sounds to me like what you found in that process was you found an accountability with yourself. This was really about you and learning more about you and what did you want to do with that information? And 
Um, again, I just think that that's such a powerful testament to the journey that we all go on when we take a break from alcohol and we have this clarity of thinking brings so many things into perspective. So Seth, I'd love to now step back in time if we can, um, because part of what really draws me into your story is some of the adversity that you uh, overcame earlier in your life. So will you share with all the listeners a little bit more about your journey and your story? Yeah, no, I'd love to. Um, So I am from here in the States. Um, I'm from the South state of Arkansas. And I grew up in a very small town. Um, and this town was uh, what we what we hear in the States, we kind of call the Bible Belt. Um, and it's where a large amount of these small towns in this Bible Belt area are very religious communities. Um, and I grew up in one of those. Um, overall, great communities, great people. Um, I, I love the town that I grew up in. I love the people I, I grew up with, but it did present some challenges for me in particular, um, because of, uh, because of some aspects of who I am being a member of the LGBT community. Um, that being said, um, to take a step back a little bit, uh, in my earlier years, um, my dad had some substance abuse issues of his own. And he's very vocal about this. He has overcome a lot in his life. He had a troublesome childhood, and uh, and he's very open about speaking with and speaks to people about substance abuse and how to overcome that today. However, as a child, he was right in the thick of it when I was little. Um, and I going through that um, has an impact on you, right? Whenever you're growing up and one of your parents has a substance abuse issue, he he was an alcoholic and then he um, overcame alcoholism. But as many of us do, you fill that void with something else. And he filled that void with uh, drug abuse. Um, and he was um, had drug abuse issues all throughout my childhood until I was about 12 or 13 years old. Then around that age, he, he got um, what, what he would say he got clean. Um, he got sober. Uh, but in, in that transition, one of the th- main things that got him sober was uh, his faith. He kind of transitioned and filled the void that the drug abuse left with his faith and his um, strong faith convictions. And we got very involved in church. So we were that family that my mom cleaned the church. We quickly got uh, very involved in every aspect. My parents drove the church van. I ended up becoming very involved in the youth group. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night. Youth groups were Monday night. We went Wednesday night uh, for Bible study. So we were there all the time, and 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 it was and it was great for for the most part. I mean, there there were good people, and things went things went really well. Um, but then, as I started kind of coming into my own, I you know, around 12, 13 year old, that years old, as everyone does, you start to learn things about yourself. And one of the things that I learned about myself is that I was gay. Now, the faith that we brought up in, uh, or we were brought up in um, at that time, did not support the LGBT community. Um, They did not uh, see it as acceptable. It was seen as a sin, uh, something that um, if you choose, quote unquote, choose, to live that lifestyle, um, then you're basically damning yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That's the mentality behind um, the faith that we all shared. So Seth, it wasn't just that they kind of didn't acknowledge that lifestyle, they were vocally against it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That is that is 100% right. And you know, and it wasn't just the church that my family was involved in, it was the it was the resounding message through the community that I grew up in mm-hmm. because there were multiple churches and, and that stance was shared by all of them throughout the community. It wasn't just, you know, the church that we were involved in. So, I mean, you can imagine somebody like me who's realizing these things about himself growing up and at every turn, uh, you're being told that this is a sin and this is something to, you know, put behind you, get it out of your mind. Uh, and I felt very strongly about that. I was very um, convicted by that personally because I did. I, I shared these faiths with my family, these beliefs, and I couldn't understand why 
I felt the way that I felt. I couldn't understand um, why, you know, in, in my mind, in my 13, 14 year old mind, why God would allow me to be this way if it were so awful. Mm. And I, and I, and I was so ashamed of it. Um, and it, with that brought a lot of insecurity and shame at every corner. You know, I, I would, I would go to school and, there would be, um, you know, there there was church, uh, what's it called when you're in school? Christian club. And I was the leader of Christian club. So how could I have this, you know, nasty little secret, you know, and be the leader of Christian club? And at home, my mom would, uh, there was one time that my mom made a comment growing up um, saying, you know, if you ever decide you're gay, just don't tell us. We don't want to know. Oh. And my dad would say a lot of comments um negative about you know how disgusting gays were and this that and the other and he would say you know i don't wish any harm on them but i don't want to be around them mm -hmm. and my sister my sister's always had my back she's always always had my back but you know there were some things that i guess i had some mannerisms where kids at school picked up on that i could be gay mm -hmm. uh, and they would pick on me and my sister would stand up for me and say he's not gay leave him alone and she was doing in her mind what, what she thought was right. But really what that was doing was reinforcing in my mind that gay is something that is wrong because yeah. she is standing there saying he's not gay, leave him alone. Um, and in my, in my mind that, that just, again, was just something to be ashamed of. And do you think your parents had an instinct that you were gay and they were saying these things to preempt it or to perhaps try to, change your mind about it one 100 chris and the reason i say that uh an example that comes to mind is my 13th birthday um i i was allowed to have up to five friends and my mom was taking us out to dinner and out to the movies and all five of the friends that i brought with me uh were all were all girls it mm. was my 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 group of girlfriends at the time and i didn't you know i didn't think it was any better or worse than any other group of friends. It didn't make any sense to me one way or the other, but I do remember my mom having a conversation with me because my dad was really upset and I couldn't understand why he was upset because it was my birthday. And my mom um, said that he was upset because he just couldn't understand why I didn't have any normal friends, any guy mm -hmm. friends, why all my friends were girls. Um, and little things like that throughout my you know early teens to, to late teens, all my teen years, it was just little things like that would pop up over and over and over. Um, just kind of reinforcing that idea that I have something to be ashamed of, that gay is a sin, gay is wrong, mm. right? I, there, I mean, there's so much that we could have a conversation about this for hours and hours and hours, but, um, and I have so many questions for you, but the one, as you walk through your story, that's just at the tip of my tongue, like, first of all, I can only imagine how tough and scary it must have been um, to just go through that experience. And especially when it comes to the point where you have the confidence to actually come out. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, how did you get to that point living in this environment? How did you find the strength to come out? And who did you come out to first? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Christine. It, it's a challenge. <laughs> it is a challenge. My that same person I spoke about earlier that was involved in the car accident, I I went to high school with. He came out in high school, and he was so threatened and so um, made fun of that even though we went to the same school, kindergarten through eleventh grade, he dropped out in eleventh grade and did his senior year from home because it got so bad. <laughs> so coming out was terrifying was absolutely terrifying. So I waited until after high school and I was actually working at Subway during my first year of college. I worked at the sandwich shop Subway and I worked with a, with a woman who identified as a lesbian and she invited me over for dinner one day and then uh, we were friends, we were coworkers. So I went with her and she introduced me to her girlfriend um, who is still one of my great friends today. Um, and we, we became fast friends, uh, me and me, her girlfriend and I. Uh, we became fast friends and started hanging out all the time. We spent all of our time together, uh, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. We ended up sharing a house together at one point in our lives. And um, we were just very, very close. But through that experience, she showed me this whole world of acceptance, this 
whole world of, um, you know, uh, 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 LGBT um, people in Arkansas that I had no idea existed. <laughs> I did not know they were there. I mean, it was it was amazing, right? Like, I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's other people out here like me and they don't, they're, and they're not ashamed of themselves. They're living their lives. And it was, it was so freeing. So after, after being their friend for a while, I finally got the courage just one-on-one with her. And I was like, and I just told her, I said, you know, I think I might be gay. I knew I was, but I didn't want to just come out and say it, right? Like I, I just was kind of testing the waters a little bit. Mm. I said, you know, I think I might be gay. And with that, she said, yeah, okay, cool. And then <laughs> topic change. We started talking about the movie or whatever it is we were doing that day. So uh, that to me, you know, it, it, does, it doesn't seem like a lot. It was a very really quick conversation. But w- through that moment, I was, you know, this this actually isn't a big deal. This, you know, me being gay is not, my, my, my life isn't over. My life, life goes on. I, I can be who I am. So coming out to my friends, I mean, it went, it went okay. Uh, as, after that, I had the courage to come out to another friend and then another friend and then another friend. And all of my friends were, ended up being very supportive. I did have, unfortunately, some members of the church that I attended, which I had stopped going to after high school and I, I kind of got out in the world a little bit and I wasn't in my hometown. I did unfortunately get some, some uh, phone calls and messages saying, you know, uh, and this is when Facebook first started. So Facebook had, uh, everybody was doing the Facebook thing. Um, and I got some messages on there saying, you know, you're living your life wrong and this, that, and the other. So there were still some, some residual effects from, the involvement in church kind of kind of having their way into my life but overall the response with my friends was overwhelmingly positive you know when you were telling your story seth about sharing with um your friend for the first time you the phrase you used was i think i might be gay and i wonder how many people who have been on the journey and now that you have fully gone through this journey you hear a sentence like I think I might be gay. And you know, the translation for that is I'm gay and I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so true, Chris. And, uh, there, you know, now this, you know, this is 15, 13, 14, 15 years ago, over the last uh, decade and a half, uh, there's been, you know, conversations that I've had with, with people in my life where, that's it. That's, that's right on the money. It's, it's all, it always starts with dipping your toe in the water. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to admit this or have this conversation. Um, but I want to, I want to crack the door open a little bit and if it's too scary, I'll close it. Um, Mm -hmm. but if I can have an open conversation with somebody, um, then that helps you come out of the, you know, proverbial closet, so to speak. You know, uh, we had another guest that we were doing a podcast with, Jessica Seely Jennings, and she was talking about something so fascinating with the way our brains work that our brain, uh, it lights up when we are hurt, uh, when we are emotionally hurt, our brain lights up exactly the way it lights up when we have physical pain. And so it causes us to just retreat. And as you as you just described, you dip your toe in it, and all of a sudden, if it gets really scary or painful, you just back out of it. Um, I wonder how much, Seth, your drinking was attributed to, I would imagine that your drinking was attributed to um, all of the stress related to um, working through this in your life, working through what it meant for you how you were going to share this with the world, how the world was going to respond. Is, mm-hmm. is that really what fueled um, the beginning of your alcohol use? Yeah, uh, it, it 100% was. And I think a lot of that, um, Chris, was due to, in, in gay culture, um, you, the gay bars and the gay clubs are paramount. Right. You if you think back over history, over the last few decades, a little bit, you know, it wasn't so many years ago where, 
you know, gays and lesbians uh, and transgender folks and and people in the LGBTQ plus community uh, could not just be themselves out in public. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you couldn't just walk down the street holding hands. You couldn't you couldn't be yourself. You had to be one person during the day. But gay clubs and gay bars allowed you to be who you really are, who you really were at night. So it's very it's deeply embedded in gay culture. I mean, you think Stonewall. What was Stonewall? Yeah. It was a gay bar. Right. Yeah. I mean, epic. It's one of those things that is in the history books, but it was a gay bar. Um, Think, you know, the the Emmy-winning show, RuPaul's Drag Race. Great show. (laughs) It's it's really fun to watch and all of that. But if you think about it, drag culture started in gay clubs, nightclubs, bars, things like that. It is almost like the core, because because we were pushed out of the daylight, gays you know, came together to be themselves at night in the clubs and in the bars. So whenever that door opened for me, when I finally came out after, you know, after high school with my friend, you know, being so encouraging, um, that's, I immersed myself in it. I, I felt so good and so free that I just jumped in with two feet and was in the gay clubs. I was in the gay bars. I wanted to be around other gay people because I wanted to just, I, I just wanted to drown in the culture. I was just so overwhelmingly excited and happy to be myself because I was so repressed for so many years. I mean, there were times when I was a kid, that a teenager, that I would write on a piece of notebook paper, I am gay, and then I would go outside with a lighter and burn it for fear that somebody would see it. I mean, I was, I was completely repressed. And then I did a 180. I, I got involved. And because I was so involved, there's the presence of alcohol. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very supportive of our gay clubs and gay bars and things like that, um, even to this day. Um, but that being said, there was a presence of alcohol there, and it was available. It, it gave me the um, what I felt was the courage to be myself and to let go of my inhibitions a little bit and talk to other guys and, and get to know people and start dating and, and alcohol. I thought at the time was my friend helped me become who I really was. And, and that's kind of where it all kicked off, right? Like that's where it started and it got progressively uh, more and more in depth to where uh, drinking became an everyday occurrence. I wanted to be the fun guy. I wanted to be the party guy. I wanted to have the friends because, because this is me. This is the real me. I'm, you know, I'm a gay guy in the South and I finally have this group that I can be myself around and alcohol I thought was the key to help me do that. Man. So, I mean, again, there's your, your storytelling is, I think, rich. Hopeful, yeah, very rich. And I hope creating, um, optimism for people who might be in the thick of it still and just don't know how to move through the journey with healthy habits and mindset. So first of all, I just want to celebrate that. Uh, Thank you for being so brave and telling your story. And what I'm curious about right now is you mentioned earlier that your wife for taking a break from alcohol really had to do with your friend's car accident that unfortunately ended in fatality. Um, so knowing you wanted to take a break from alcohol because of that, how did you actually approach things? So, so whenever I, you know, like a 29, yeah, my 29th birthday, I looked back over my twenties, as I said earlier, and, and just kind of was not really necessarily, uh, I don't think ashamed is the right word. I was disappointed in myself. I, I did not do any of the things that that I wanted to do, um, and I was I was right. You know, the relationship that that ended last year, we had been dating for about a year at that point, and we were he and I were kind of like fire and gasoline whenever it came to alcohol because we were both drinkers. So one of us would drink, and the other one would pour another, and then mm. you know we would. Uh, kind of piggyback off of each other a little bit. We don't know anything about yeah. that in the Laping House. That no. sounds no. very familiar. We weren't familiar. like that. No, no. <laughs> very, very porn. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, I well, called it the competitive drinking because, you know, Chris would yeah. pour one and I'm like, I can keep up. I'm going to pour myself one too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like, that's what we did. 
Um, and you know, we thought that was normal and I thought that was normal. So that's, that's, that's how it was. Um, but you know, whenever my friend's accident happened and all that, I just started, I tried at first to take a break on my own. And I just said, you know, I, I I think I just need to take a pause. And this is before I found one year, no beer, but I, I think I need to take a pause. So I went two months, which is the longest I had gone since I was probably 18 or 19, um so i went 60 days without drinking and that was my goal i was like i'm gonna take two months off and and kind of straighten up and fly right a little bit and then after that it was around november holidays were coming and all of that so i was like okay well i'm I'm obviously going to drink during the holidays i mean who doesn't do that right (laughs) so i so i started drinking again and man got it was almost immediately got right back in it it's like as if nothing over the last 60 days for me in my experience anyway had mattered because I was right back in it. Um, so then, you know, at the start of the new year, I'm a big um, new year fan. I love the whole, um, you know, new year, new me thing. I know that's kind of cliche, but I really like the January one, you know, metaphorical, I can restart whatever I want to restart on this day because it's a new year. Um, so I stumbled across one year, no beer on Facebook. I, it was a link or an ad or something. And I, I went to the website and I just kind of Googled it. Um, and was like, okay, is this thing legit? What is this? And I thought, you know what, why, why not, why not do this? Uh, it, it seems legit. It's checking out. It's, it's got all of these resources, all of these statistics, all of these people saying how much it helped them, you know, and I want to help me. And obviously 60 days isn't long enough. So I decided to sign up for 365 right away on January 1 of 2019. Um, and that's what I did. And I, and through that, I've, I found this community that I didn't know existed uh, that, or that I needed even. You know, I, I didn't realize that reading other people's stories on the Facebook private group that we have would impact me so much. And, and listening to people uh, when they post their videos and, and type out all the things that are impacting them on their journeys. I mean, it was it was overwhelming. I just saw so many people who were going through so many similar experiences. And, I, you know, I, I had no idea. It's almost as if, you know, whenever I came out, I was when just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, whenever I came out when I was younger, I found this whole world of gay people that I didn't know existed. And I was so excited. Right. And now I'm finding this whole group of people who have had struggles with their alcohol use um, or, you know, d- came to a realization that they needed to take a break from alcohol. And it's like, it, it, I mean, worlds just keep opening up for me. I'm lucky. Um, <laughs> but it was it was this awesome experience. I got to have it all over again when I found One Year No Beer. And, awesome. and Seth, both you and I grew up in the South and we both went to church. I just have to ask you, when you joined the One Year No Beer community, didn't did it feel to you like church, except that it was, it, it just um, had a little bit of a different vibe? Because, you know, at church, you always show up and you, you, you don't want people to see the warts. You don't want people mm-hmm. to really know um, the things you're struggling with. Um, but you do have a community that happens in church uh, where people are there to support each other. And to really step in, especially when there's tragedy in your life. But here with this one year, no beer community, it was like, oh, I can actually, it's kind of like church, but I can share my warts with everybody. <laughs> that's, I mean, that, that's exactly it. You can be transparent, right? I think that's, that's the key to what makes one year, no beer so so good and so fun to be a part of is you can share those parts of you with other people that are going on the same journey that you otherwise wouldn't share. I mean, I'm not going to go to work and share these things with my coworkers right off the bat. I'm not going to share them with my mom and dad or, or whatever, you know, like this, I, I need a community of like-minded people and, mm. and one year, no beer is it. I mean, that's where it's at. That's where that community resides. And once I found that, just being able to, again, get stuff off my chest and share my experiences and my stories and see others. It was just, it was amazing. It, it truly was amazing. And then they, a lot of uh, suggestions on books to read, the quit lit and the journaling and all of the tips and tricks that you get along the way. I mean, take advantage of that stuff, people, because it's amazing how your perspective changes over time um, when you soak in all of that information. Yeah. So speaking of being able to, you know, share our warts with this, uh, when you're no beer community, 
I remember you posting in our private group that you actually had a blip during your journey. So we're, you know, we've been celebrating that you're a 365 legend and now you're beyond. Um, But can you share a little bit about your blip and your mindset around how to handle that blip? No, I have no clue what you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I was like, oh, denial. I know. I really yeah. thought he was serious there for a minute. I thought, oh, my what? goodness, we really got that story wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, Christine. There was um, so so uh, that, as I said, I, I joined in in 2019. Right. And I went about eight or nine months. I, I don't remember the exact number of days, but eight or nine months. And I had thought that I, I learned everything that I needed to learn, right? I, I thought that the the messages that came across on the daily emails and the journaling, and I, I thought I had a good understanding of it, and that I could go back um, to having uh, having some drinks without any problem. Um, that's one half of it. The other half of it is my thirtieth birthday was right around the corner, and for my thirtieth birthday. I decided that I wanted to go home and see my mom and dad and my sister and my sister's kids. And I wanted to be around family. Uh, it had been a while since I, I seen them. I moved in, I moved to Denver, Colorado in 2017 and I only get to see my family about once a year. So I chose my birthday to do that. Um, I don't know what it was, but as soon as I got home to Arkansas, I mean, those feelings of wanting to go to the bar, uh, the bars that I visited over and over and over again throughout my late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, that's the only thing I wanted to do when I got there. And I did it. And that's where my blip happened. Um, and in doing that, uh, I, I fell right back into that old familiar pattern of drinking, waking up, feeling bad about drinking, drinking a little bit that day to make yourself feel better about feeling bad about drinking. (laughs) And, and, you know, just that circle. Right. And uh, I I fell right back into it almost immediately. And, and, uh, and it, it was hard the rest of 2019 to, to get back on track. So on January 1st, again, I'm a new year person. I like my new years on January 1st of 2020, I decided to go for it, but I was going to do the full year this time. I wasn't going to psych myself out of it. Um, and I did, and that's where I am now. Well, you know, this January 1st thing and the fact that you were, you know, initially thinking about taking a break from alcohol when you were 29 and coming on your 30th birthday, that's it. There's actually a lot of science and data behind that. Uh, there's a author, Daniel Pink, who's got a book called When, and it's all about, um, the science of perfect timing and that, we think sometimes that timing is accidental, but he actually provides a lot of data that shows that there's good times for us to make decisions and there are not so good times. And it is very common that when people get to the January 1st mark or they have a big milestone coming up, like your 30th birthday or your 40th birthday or uh, your 50th birthday, that's when um, big change happens in people's life. So this thing that you're talking about, there's definitely some science and data behind it. Um, and the other thing that struck me when you were sharing um, is how many times when we're young, we get caught in a cycle or a trap and believe that we have to live the rest of our life that way. And the fact of the matter is, you had this blip, you caught yourself, and you realize like, hey, I still have a lot of life in front of me here. I'm still young, and I'll do this reset January 1st, never twice. I'm not, you know, 2019 didn't stay on the streak like I wanted it to, but 2020 is not going to be that year for me. And I think 2020 was kind of a challenging year for for a lot of people, right? And it was, um, little did I know on January 1 that it was going to be that kind of a year. Um, and but I, but I but my mind was made up. Uh, I had tried and I I fell off the wagon. I got back on and and this time I just I just knew that I I needed to stick with it for me, for, for no, for no other reason than myself, than the fact that when I turn 40 and 10 years, I want to look back and say, I am so glad that I did that because I met this goal, this goal, this goal, all these things that 
you know, I dropped the ball on in my 20s. I, I don't want to drop the ball on in my 30s. I want to build myself a life that I can be proud of. Mm. And I knew that I, in order to do that, I had to remove alcohol. And there was this, there was this moment, I think, where I had this realization um, where I, I, I did the reset. And there were these automated messages that came through Facebook Messenger from One Year No Beer saying, you know, it's, it's, it was one of those push messages where you do the reset and then it says, you know, if you want to find out more, click here. If you want to do this, click here, so on and so forth. And, one of the, and, and I did. I, I clicked the messages because I, I really wanted to educate myself on resetting and things like that. And one of the messages presented a graph of the stages of change. Um, and in that, message it, it had uh, the diagram where it showed you know contemplate pre-contemplation contemplation making the change and so on and there was a statement in there that said most people go through the entire stages of change cycle four to five times before change really sticks and for some reason mm. that that burned in my brain I, i'll never forget that diagram because it was just a message to me that it's not that most people start four or five times most people go through the stages of changes four or five times before something really sticks. And for some reason that spoke to me and I was, you know, just because I did eight or nine months and I did 60 days without any support, I did eight or nine months with support. I've been through the stage of time, but that doesn't mean I'm done. Yeah, There's great. more, more, more to go here. Well, I'll say with your journey, you have accomplished so much. You have overcome a lot. And I wonder for you, Seth, what's next? You know, what kind of things are you focused on going into 2021? Well, I've got, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do in my 20s that I didn't do was go to grad school. And I'm mm -hmm. um, happy to say I'm in grad school right now, um, attending uh, Denver University, and I'm pursuing my master's in learning and development. I'm someone who always likes to learn. I like to teach. I like to um, help people along their journey, whether it's with their career uh, or otherwise. So, so that's kind of one big thing I've got going on right now is to just expand my education um, and, and try to just move forward with that. But as far as on a personal level, I think, you know, we, we look at politicians and celebrities as having platforms, but we all have a platform. Our platform is our life. And I want to use my platform which is my life to just maintain the life that I'm living alcohol free uh, and be support, hopefully for somebody that wants to have a conversation about being alcohol free, or maybe a conversation about coming out of the closet, or maybe one of those things that I've experienced in my life that I might be able to help somebody along. That's what I want to do. That's the, I, that, I want, I want to use my platform of life to help people along. Um, and I'm always trying to improve myself. I mean, I'm not done. I, I think that we have this in the group. We have this idea of, oh, man, if I get to 365, I will have finished. That's, <laughs> that's not the case. It's just the beginning, baby. The just the beginning. That's 100%, Christine. Like, it, it's not the finish line. It's the starting point. That, and, that's, and that's where I'm at. And, you know, earlier I talked about my family and some of the struggles we had growing up. But we are in a much better place now. It, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. My, uh, my mother and my sister, and they're very supportive. We, we have a really strong bond. Um, we've overcome a lot as a family. And my goal now is to just keep moving forward. Well, as we close out this conversation and what you said, you know, you're looking forward to accomplishing going forward, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you <laughs> share with our listeners a tidbit of advice as someone who had the experience you did growing up as a game boy and now a gay man? If you were speaking to parents who may have a child that is identifying as LGBTQ, what kind of one or two bits of advice would you give them? Yeah, no, that's, that's an, that's an excellent question. Um, well, first I would say to the people who may be identifying that way themselves is be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that was the bedrock of a lot of wrong choices I've made in my life um, was I did not, care about myself. I didn't care if something bad happened to me or if I treated myself wrong because I had this foundational belief that I was a, a quote unquote disgusting person because I was, because I was gay. Um, but 
if you're in that boat, be kind to yourself, love yourself. You are beautiful. You are a, a human being with the right to have an amazing life. Um, but if you're a parent out there and you have a child that you think might be uh, a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, my first my first bit of information would be let them come into their own first because you really, as a gay person, there's a lot you have to overcome to go against the grain like that. You, there's a lot of mental work, a lot of inner work that you have to do to be okay with admitting that. And if you're not ready to admit that and you're confronted by your parent, you're, you're probably going to tell them, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I, my, my advice would be patient um, let them figure things out for themselves and just provide a welcoming, loving atmosphere at home so that when they have reached that point where they can talk about these things, you're there to talk about it with them. Um, and then that's whenever you can start, you know, <laughs> raising the rainbow flag and, and having, <laughs> you know, those conversations that you've been wanting to have as a parent who loves their child. But um, but let them come to that realization first and then and then just be there for them. Just provide that atmosphere. So much wisdom, Seth. And I, I, we just we loved having you on the show today from your sharing. We have learned that it's possible to overcome adversity, that we don't have to live our lives in shame and regret. Uh, we've learned how important love and acceptance is and that. And and that, even if it seems counter to our social life, um, it's possible to successfully take a break from alcohol. So thank you so much for letting us put a microphone in front of you and for uh, just authentically and honestly sharing your story with everyone. Yeah, no, thank you guys for the opportunity. I, I, I hope that somebody out there... Um, can just be proud and, and love who they are. And, and um, I mean, if you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? That's a quote from RuPaul. And I think that is <laughs> so that. true. <laughs> so, so true. And um, so I hope somebody out there hears this and realizes that they are worth taking this jump. And I really hope when COVID is, you know, controlled that for the next Pride uh, parade, we can, we can meet up and we can be part of those festivities here in Denver, Colorado together. Absolutely. I look forward to that. And I cannot wait to see you guys again. <laughs> well, for all of you listening today, um, let me just say that if you're currently taking a break from alcohol, or maybe you're just considering it, you can do this. You can totally do this. You are much stronger than you think. And I hope that you just keep moving onward and upward in your own journey. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. We are so grateful that you hung out with us today. And if you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share with a friend. And as always, I hope that you make it a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.